1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean, and I'm
0: the very titular Carrie.
1: And this is the show that brings you into the unbelievable, the unexplainable, um, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. And this week is our much-anticipated conclusion <laughs> to the Bridgeport poltergeist saga. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you remember last week, it was uh, November twenty-fourth, nineteen seventy-four. We were at a small house on uh, Lindley Street here in Bridgeport, uh, where some pretty funny stuff was happening, Carrie.
0: I wouldn't call it funny.
1: Uh, objects and furniture flying around the house, all apparently centered around um, a little girl named Marcia, 10 years old. hmm And the last time we left the Goodin family... Their neighbor, Mary Pascarella, had just tested little Marcia for psychic powers and then rushed out of the house to call her new friends, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yep. Ed and Lorraine Warren had made something of a name for themselves across the country uh, at this point by being close to several apparent, like, ghost stories.
0: Yeah, so basically their job, um, Ed was a, I don't know if it's licensed is the word, but he was a demonologist. Um, He was a demonologist, which is basically that he is officially sanctioned by the Catholic Church to kind of work on the same sorts of cases that they would get in terms of like exorcisms and possession and demons and all those things. And his wife, Lorraine, was a uh, psychic medium. Um, She could communicate and see spirits. So they were kind of a power couple of uh, spooky stuff back in, I mean, their real start was in the 70s. But as we know from the Conjuring movies, their story has lived on.
1: Yeah, uh, in large part, thanks to the Conjuring movies.
0: And they're a big, uh, big piece of Connecticut history, especially when it comes to the weird Um, They lived in Monroe, Mm -hmm. and they still have family here, and uh, they have a little haunted museum type of thing here, which I think you have to get in by appointment. Um, I actually myself went to a Lorraine Warren talk, I guess you could say, back in, I was in high school, so probably 2006, 2007. So I saw her in person before she passed away, Um, and it was fascinating. I mean, she was an interesting lady for sure.
1: They were very, very interesting fraudsters, and uh,
0: so <laughs> yes, obviously that is Sean's opinion of Ed and Lorraine Warren.
1: And I'm also curious about how closely they worked with like the Catholic Church as a body, because it doesn't seem like the Church uh, liked investigations into this stuff. Actually, we'll we'll get into that in a minute here. Mary Pascarella, Carrie, the neighbor uh, who was testing Marcia for her psychic powers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She had also attended a a lecture from Lorraine and Ed Warren, just like yourself, and uh, she had gotten their number after the fact, and uh, she thought, perfect people to call, right? It seems like a ghostly or psychic, it's a paranormal scenario.
0: Honestly, they you know, they are pretty good people to call.
1: (laughs) Why don't I call the ghost hunters I just met? Mm -hmm. So Ed said he had to park four blocks away as he came to this house, because the crowds that had gathered outside, um, as word spread about the crazy happenings uh, were so, you know, so wild, so big, so many people.
0: Oh, I just thought it was because Bridgeport street parking is terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think a little thing like that would have stopped Ed Warren. Uh, it was more of just the crush of bodies all the way down the streets and, mm. uh, and sidewalk.
0: Like the Beatles were in town.
1: So Ed introduced himself to the family. They'd never heard of him before, uh, but their friends, the Hoffmans, had. They were like, oh, we've heard of them. So Jerry was like, okay, yeah, I guess it's fine. Uh, and with that, Ed ran back home and grabbed Lorraine and a few friends of theirs, a Father Bill Charbonneau Mm -hmm. and a Paul Eno, who was a seminary student at the time. Um, So you've got an old priest and a young priest. It's real exorcist vibes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it seems like some uh, people in the church were associated with them.
1: Uh, Yes, priests. But uh, as uh, Paul Eno was later kicked out of seminary for being involved with the Warrens on this.
0: I thought that was going in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, Well, that sucks for him.
1: Yeah, so he never became a priest. Anyway, um, it was around that time the Warrens showed up, and then Laura got back from the hospital. Remember, she had had a television slowly dropped on her toes by
0: the... Yeah, I'm not going to forget that.
1: ...by the haunting. Um, She had one broken toe, and the other one was pretty badly bruised. (sighs) Marcia uh, apparently commented loudly that it was fun to have so many people in the house, and then... Immediately left the room. So Marcia seems to be enjoying the attention, right? She's walking around uh, holding her cat, uh, (laughs) Sam the cat, and she's chatting cheerfully with police. And meanwhile, a large cross uh, lifted off the wall in her parents' bedroom and slowly set itself down on the floor.
0: Did anyone see this?
1: Um, No, they heard the... Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I think two police officers saw that there were witnesses to this slowly coming up and off and landing on the floor. Marcia wasn't there because she was downstairs sitting in a recliner, leaning forward to talk to the police officers excitedly. Uh, when the chair she was sitting into, this is the recliner once again, apparently rose up toward the ceiling, did a somersault in midair, and spilled Marcy <laughs> to the floor and crashed over an end table that was uh, sitting behind the chair. Marcia, of course, screams and hits her head. Uh, and it took two men uh, to set the recliner back where it was because it was pretty heavy.
0: Recliners aren't light.
1: Um, no, not at all. And and so as you can see, the apparitions are continuing. Last week's episode became kind of a laundry list of just these things that kept happening and happening and happening, room to room, and that was on the most intense days of the haunting. So that's part of why. And I wanted to give you a sense of um, a sense of what this family was going through, but. I'm just going to summarize what was going on over the next few hours as the Warrens and the family were, were there. Um, there were banging sounds about once an hour or at least once an hour.
2: Mm-hmm. throughout
1: all of this often when somebody left the kitchen they would come back to find the kitchen table had been flipped over and again one just end
0: leave it just leave it at this point
1: one end would be leaning on a chair or sometimes would uh, miss the chair and fall right to the floor um, the chairs would sometimes fall very suddenly away from the table in view of people apparently and land on their backs a living room light bulb shattered and so did a standalone ashtray um, <laughs> one of the neighbors uh, finally in an attempt to maybe distract marcia get her away from all this craziness uh takes her into the um kitchen to make some coffee for everyone mm-hmm. and uh ed warren joked that uh well everyone uh, the coffee's ready make sure you get it off this kitchen table quick <laughs> you know fun little joke from ed um and he and marcia and the neighbor turn to leave the kitchen and as they're leaving the room the table flips over all of the coffee is spilled <laughs> the sugar the mugs things break
0: don't put anything on there I just, I'm lost.
1: Yeah. The police left at 2 p.m. Now, Officer Tomek (laughs) later said that he had a thought before he left, turned around and went alone back into the house up to Marcia's room. Nobody else was in there. And he had an idea that this whatever was in the house was intelligent and was playing with them. And he thought, he said, didn't say, he thought, if you can hear me, move something. And a baby picture of Marcia, a cross, and some cherubs that were on the wall all started to shake. <sighs> and then he thought, okay, you can stop now. And it stopped. Now, Tomek didn't mention that to another soul until 40 years later when he was being interviewed by William J. Hall.
0: Wow. That's wild. I mean, it's wild for any kind of police official to admit to any of this. Yes.
1: But there's all the obvious caveats that go with eyewitness reports 40 years after the fact. Sure. He's yeah. had 40 years for his memory to, whatever. We'll get into all that stuff later. So the reporters show up around 4 p.m. in droves just as the Warrens are leaving. And so they snap pictures of the famous Ed and Lorraine Warren leaving the house. And that's only going to attract more reporters. A crowd has literally formed outside the house at this point, And some people are uh, chucking garlic at the front steps.
0: <laughs> Wrong mythology, guys. They're just
1: like, whatever works right here. <laughs>
0: Well, you you heard from um, one of your old family friends about this very thing, didn't you?
1: Yes. I don't want to repeat her name on the podcast, but she said that a friend of hers lived right across the street, more or less, from the Gooden family. And uh, so while this was going on, she, yeah, went over there and watched all the police go by. And uh, she said she didn't see any furniture move or anything like that. But it was a crazy scene just with the kind of press of bodies and all the excitement.
0: Yeah, that's wild. I mean, it really... Yeah, it really kind of drives home how local this story is and how crazy it was at the time
1: yeah and later in her life she would live across the street from me so which one was worse
0: You for sure
1: (laughs) so as ed and lorraine leave uh they give jerry the advice that when stuff falls they should just leave it where it is and they should leave the room where the incidents happen
0: yeah (laughs) might as well
1: so that's the plan Now, the Warrens returned at 8 p.m. after having some dinner, and as they returned, the priests were back and the press was back as well, uh, including, at this point, wire services, UPI, and Reuters. Oh, boy. Yeah, so this has gone national. Yeah. Um, One reporter, uh, a few of them were let into the house to walk through and look around. Um, One reporter saw a little Russian Orthodox prayer book that was written in both English and Old Church Slavonic with hand-scribbled notes in the margins, uh, which led to widespread reports that Marcia was dabbling in the occult and that she carried bizarre books everywhere.
0: (laughs) Well, where would that
1: be from, though? She wasn't Russian, and none of them were Russian, right? Paulino said that was actually his. It was given to him by a monk he met in Canada. (laughs) Oh. It's just a priest's prayer book.
0: Okay. I love how a priest's prayer book, turns into, she's dabbling in the occult. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> it's um, a fine line. Now, as the reporters were um, milling around, Marcia flopped into her recliner in such a way that it, foomp, reclined straight open and sat back. And then she like looked around like she had done, like something crazy had happened. She made a big shocked mock face. Um, nobody was fooled by it. And uh, her mother told her to knock it off. <laughs> and Marcia went downstairs to play with Sam the cat. Okay. Here's a note about Sam the Cat. Uh, Sam the Cat had to have an operation in October of 1974. And afterward, he apparently acted strangely as if he was trying to talk. I'm just picturing maybe a cat in some after-surgery pain, like making some face stretchy,
0: you know? Sometimes Poe tries to talk to us. I don't think he realizes that he can only
1: speak bark. Well, that is... Yeah, Poe can only speak bark, but Jerry, before the poltergeist activity started, Jerry had told friends that he had heard Sam speak in three distinct voices. And when the cat was alone in the basement, it would sing and, quote, it spoke like a sailor.
0: What would a cat sing?
1: I don't know, but the example of dialogue here is uh, it would be, you know, in the basement going, let me out, you dirty Frenchman, you dirty Greek! Oh my god.
0: Do you think a cat's favorite band would be the stray cats
1: um i would hope so y- yeah you, uh, you gotta get stray cats strut boom. Doom, 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 <laughs> i think that's um at tommy the cat by primus mm. you know they've got cats
0: would also. like who let the dogs out
1: be the equivalent of a metal dirge
0: song like a horror song to a cat
1: um that's a good question who let the dogs out it's not celebrating the dogs being out. The dogs being out is definitely regarded as...
0: It's certainly accusatory.
1: Regrettable. And <laughs> we have to get down to the, the bottom of The condition of the dogs is regrettable. <laughs> Who is responsible for this? Hmm. Um, so cats might kind of be on board with the message. That's fair. So in any case, Sam the Cat could talk. Jerry initially said, look, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> marcia likes to hold the cat next to her face and pretend it's talking uh this isn't that she's nowhere near the so night the cat is in the basement and i hear voices coming from the basement
0: oof okay cats are shifty sean i mean i, I wouldn't put it past a cat to like know how to speak all along <laughs> yeah <laughs> just keep it secret
1: yeah it's true the, the warrens uh Claimed to experience a number of phenomenon when, when the, while they were in the house for the rest of the night. They were in the basement at one point with Father Charbonneau and a horrible voice said, Jingle bells! Ew! And then a strange squealing came from Sam the cat's direction. So
0: Sam was down there with them? Yes. With the jingle bells? Yes. That's so gross. <laughs> uh,
1: at the time, Marcia had just left the basement. She was down there talking to them about how she thought all the other children and the teachers hated her and only her family and Sam loved her. Um, then she was called upstairs by Jerry. She left and immediately the cat started going, Jingle Bells!
0: Well, at least he wasn't like, no, nah, I do really hate that bitch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, with all this activity around, Lorraine started to feel faint. Of course, Lorraine being sensitive
2: mm-hmm.
1: and a blister actually apparently formed on her wrist. In a spot where she said she felt something spectral brush against her, hmm. and as they were sitting there at the table with the family, Ed, and this is where the warrants they they lay it on thick. <laughs> Ed was sa- sitting there at the kitchen table saying, "I saying they should leave. We can't stay here." And Lorraine's going, "No, it's okay. We'll be fine." And Ed is quoted as saying, "I'm worried about spontaneous combustion. It's because you're a clairvoyant." So there you go, Carrie. Spontaneous human combustion. <laughs> Listen,
0: that's just one theory of uh, why that happens. And if you want to investigate other ones, you can try one of our early episodes where I go into as many theories as possible. Didn't find any about being a clairvoyant making you spontaneously combust, but hey, why not?
1: No, it was more about um, ketosis, weirdly.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So check out that episode. (laughs) The Warrens didn't leave that night until around 2 a.m. So Ed didn't get his wish as far as we got to get out of here, um, and but he also didn't burst into flames, so that's good. Very true. <laughs> now the next day, the crowd had gotten so bad that the police were back in force, and they had erected barricades a block away, and they had paddy wagons available and just kind of visible, so that people would be um, wouldn't be too bold. And you had to show your license that said you lived on Lindley Street to even get onto the street. As of Monday, wow jerry was off to work at 6 a.m and was bullied all day
2: oh
1: hey hey how the ghosts jerry hey jerry the cat read any good books lately
0: oh no mm-hmm. oh yeah
1: meanwhile at the house the geists were still geistin. at 9 45 a.m barbara carter a neighbor uh saw marcia's bureau tip over
0: she was in the house?
1: Yeah, she apparently saw it happen. And Ed and Lorraine started to talk to Laura about the possibility of an exorcism. Okay. Scary words to bring up. Sure, yeah. Now at 1.30 p.m., the mob was getting ornery and, and people were banging on the windows and stuff. Laura was getting a little nervous and she called Jerry home from work.
0: I'm sure he was like, yep, I'm coming. I don't want to be here anymore.
1: <laughs> as he comes in, as, as Jerry's coming in through the Front door, a Bridgeport Post reporter stops him, and he presents himself pretty well, so the family lets him in for an interview. While he's talking, Uh, a dish rack near the sink slid across the counter, turned itself around, and shot a few feet through the air and right into Jerry's leg. Mm -hmm. Jerry just, for his part, tried to keep the interview going.
0: (laughs) That's a professional right there.
1: Yeah. Um, So after that, uh, Barbara, Marcia, and Paul Eno, the seminary student, Mm -hmm. were playing Monopoly. Uh, Which was Marcia's favorite game. Hmm. She's just a kid. She doesn't know any better. (laughs) Jerry was wandering around the house. Because he was once again, he said out loud, feeling this tightness in his chest and this heaviness settling uh, on his shoulders.
0: Did he smell the smell again?
1: He said he did. I think these details come from Paul Eno. Primarily. So... What Paul Eno says happened next is that the lights in the house began to flicker. Mm -hmm. And then the Monopoly players kind of stopped what they were doing and turned to look as Jerry launched into a Gregorian chant in Latin and started performing whole masses. uh, Specifically, apparently, the mass of the dead and the mass of the angels. So
0: Paul Eno could confirm... That he was speaking the right Latin.
1: That's what he says, yeah. Um, Now, these are things Jerry might have learned um, in Catholic school as a kid, um, but he wouldn't have had to call on that knowledge for the last probably 40 years.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I was like, Hey, Dad, I know you went to Catholic school. Can you do an entire Mass of the Dead for me in Latin? I'm pretty sure his first impulse would not be, Sure!
1: (laughs) Now, meanwhile... And Jerry also, he he's doing this angrily. He's yelling in a baritone voice that Eno said was not his, angrily. A smoky, yellowish-white, gauzy mist began to form in the room, split into four separate entities, and followed Jerry around as he marched around the house doing his uh, chanting and shouting. He went and got a bottle of holy water and started shaking it around the room. Jerry did? Yeah. Uh, Paul, for his part, was standing in front of Marcia, like holding up a prayer book and praying at him, like exorcist style. (laughs) Good Lord. Yeah. And he said that he got in one of these entities' way, the smoky figures, as it moved toward Marcia. And as it brushed against him, he said it had a physicality to it. He described it, weirdly, as bird-like. He said it was like bird bones.
0: Yeah, maybe it felt kind of fragile.
1: Yeah, so he, f- he feels its bird bones brush against him. He can't stop it. It moves past him. Marcia was suddenly lifted up and thrown across the room into the wall.
0: By a bird ghost.
1: Yeah. Now, at this point, the entities became a cloud again and started to fill the house. And so Paul, you know, said, we got to get the hell out of here. And they did. And he called Ed and Lorraine from a neighbor's house.
0: I mean, I feel the same way when Poe eats too much cheese.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Ed and Lorraine say it's probably okay to go back in the house. Wait for us; we'll get there. You know, don't don't do anything crazy.
0: When... <laughs> Does that include Gregorian Latin
1: chanting? Yes, because check. But they were on their way. Don't worry. Father Bill and Ed and Lorraine arrived and uh, went room to room, blessing the house with holy water. Mm-hmm. In the basement, Father Bill claimed that he saw a shadow on the wall, sort of out of place and then realized it was standing about two feet in front of the wall. Mm. Slowly, from the top down, the shadow began to gain definition and become a three-dimensional figure standing there. Ed and Lorraine said from where they were seeing, they could see its face, horns and all.
0: Oh, boy. Twist. Yeah. Horns and all.
1: And so they sort of blessed that thing away, and they all figured, like, let's not tell the good ones.
0: Oh, boy. Okay.
1: Let's keep this one under our hats.
0: Mm. I guess you don't want to incite a panic. Something with horns pops up. You know, it's
1: not a friggin' goat, so... uh... But with the blessing, the family was at least comfortable being in the house again. Um, And in fact, a couple of radio DJs came in. Uh, This was the next guys who seemed nice enough for the family actually to give an interview. And uh, at one point, one of the radio DJs, Tim, was sitting in a a recliner next to Marcia when Marcia's recliner started doing its pop open and pop closed thing. Uh, Tim tried to replicate it with the one he was sitting in, and he said he couldn't. There was just no way to get it to open up as violently and quickly as Mm -hmm. Marcia's was, and he was a grown man. And
0: all of them had done it. It wasn't just her recliner, right? Didn't she say at one point Jerry was in the room or a cop was in the room or something, and they all were just flapping?
1: Yes, yeah, all three yeah. of them, opening so and it's, closing.
0: It's not like Marcia's chair was the only one that was capable of
1: doing that. So Marcia uh, gets on her knees to start and starts praying at this point, just like she's seen Paul Eno do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and Jerry tells her to knock it off. Um, <laughs> so Marcia gets up and uh, goes to say goodnight, when suddenly she's jerked across the room and slammed into the wall once again. Very loud, but apparently no injury to the child. Oh, God. And uh, more stuff happens, more TVs move, more coats move, more models move. Um, and after 1 a.m., she's still awake because stuff has been happening constantly. <laughs> yeah. And everyone is saying their good nights when the fridge door swings open and hits Jerry in the shoulder.
0: That fridge again. Yep. It's a death trap.
1: Constantly. So later, an officer, Mike Costello, is on crowd control. It's pretty late at this point. Um, but the family's nervous with the events of this night, you know, these paranormal activities are still they're still happening and it's been like three days uh they ask if an officer can stay inside the house to keep them safe and costello calls a Zawacki and a del toro to come and sleep inside the house
0: Zawacki and del toro
1: that's right it's of the bull um well he's standing in the family waiting for these officers to come uh costello sees marcia's recliner opening close a few times nobody's by itself no marcia's sitting in it okay Nobody's impressed, and Laura tells Marcia to knock it off again. Hmm. Uh, Marcia gets up to go to the bathroom, and Jerry says, we'll leave the door open, and here's two objects immediately hit a wall. <laughs> and he looks at Laura and just says, what are we going to do? Oh boy. Meanwhile, Costello tried Marcia's recliner and found it uh, opened and closed more easily than the other ones.
2: Mm-hmm. He was
1: starting to form a theory. As everybody was talking... He saw Marcia's foot inch out and push the TV with no one else seeing. It swung around on the carpet and hit Jerry's leg,
2: mm-hmm.
1: startling him. Now, Costello saw it, smiled, and caught Marcia's eye. He said she broke his eye contact and look, looked away as soon as she could. Hmm. So this is when he pulled Zawacki and Del Toro aside before he left and said, uh, I think the demon's getting a little help from Marcia. So Del Toro looks at the family and says, let's put some of this stuff back and see what happens. And as he's moving the dresser upstairs that keeps falling over, he notices that is like really top heavy. You can actually tip it with almost no effort at all. I think because it's on the legs. Mm -hmm. So he finally asks Marcia if she kicked the TV and if she made Sam talk. She says yes. And he said, did you do the refrigerator door last night? She says yes. And she takes him in there and shows him. How she did it, you know, you can reach, she can reach out her foot, tap the fridge door, and uh, nobody sees it if she's sitting in the right spot. Uh, around this time, Marcia started to cry. Officer Costello was back in the house. He takes her aside, and, and he said, uh, Marcia, why are you crying? Is it because we figured out you've been causing all these problems? And she nods. Um, and he says, why did you do it? And Marcia says, I wanted to see if the demon would do anything.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: Another twist. He asked about Mrs. Warren's blister. And Marcia said the woman had put her hand under hot water. Oh. He asked if anyone put her up to her tricks, and she said no. And he kept on her, not even your mother, and she said no. At 5 a.m., officers left the house, called the detective on duty, and reported the whole thing had been a hoax.
0: But you said so many of these things had happened without her in the room.
1: Well, that's why the story's not over yet, Carrie. Mm-hmm. And we're going to continue right after the break.
2: <gasps> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: You're here, which means you love podcasts. But are you looking for another kind of entertainment on the go? Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to memoirs, news, business, and more. By signing up for a free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scary, you'll receive access to thousands of titles with one credit toward any audiobook and two Audible originals, free during your trial and then with subscription each month after. Personally, my favorite Audible title is also my favorite book, It by Stephen King. I went into this audiobook ready to judge because I've loved this novel since I was a kid. But between the stellar production value and the truly breathtaking narration performance by actor Stephen Webber, I was 100% all in. If you like this podcast, and have a strong stomach, I think you will be too. Not into audiobooks? No problem. With podcasts, theatrical performances, guided meditations, and more, Audible offers something for everyone. So what are you waiting for? Get started now. And hey, you'll be helping support the podcast. Visit our link at www.audibletrial.com slash ain't it scary for a free trial. That's www.audibletrial.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. Audible. Listen more.
1: Welcome back. When last we left you, officers were leaving the Gooden house ready to declare this whole thing a hoax. After little Marcia Gooden had been caught nudging a TV with her foot. Mm-hmm. Now at this point, the Gooden said nobody was to be let in the house, not even the Warrens, especially not the Warrens. After they heard this thing about Lorraine's purposeful wrist burn. Mm-hmm. That and Jerry didn't like that Ed was making toll calls from the house to get <laughs> reporters. <laughs> oh, geez. To get reporters around. Uh-huh. The Warrens, however, called as soon as they heard the news. Uh, in a radio report that William Hall's book quotes as saying, After a lengthy interrogation of the parents and 10-year-old Marcia, the girl admitted she had been the one who had done the banging on the walls and the floors. She was the one who knocked the crucifix to the floor, threw the pictures on the floor, and caused all the other unusual happenings in the house. A police report said the little girl further admitted that the cat Sam didn't really talk. It was her disguised voice, Marcia's voice, and she demonstrated to the police just how she did it. Police said the parents agreed to take the girl for a psychiatric examination.
0: You realize this didn't take place in 1922,
1: right? Police Superintendent Joe Walsh said that, <clears throat> <clears throat> they are no ghosts in Bridgeport. What was this? They were victims of the power of suggestion. Even some of my own men were taken in. <laughs>
0: He's not Foghorn Leghorn. This is Bridgeport, Connecticut, not Bridgeport, Kentucky. The
1: power of suggestion.
0: Oh, boy. I don't sign off on any of these accents.
1: Meanwhile, Captain Anthony Fabrizi said, Eh, this girl's into a spiritual bag. She read books on (laughs) religious cults and gurus, and uh, she was always carrying one of those books.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and my boy Capone, too.
1: Uh, meanwhile, Jerry Gooden was doing his best, but wasn't a media-savvy man. His best defense of his daughter was, We were as completely fooled as anybody else was. Her mind was controlled. she never acted like this before. Somebody else controlled her mind for her. Wow. Okay. They did have a few public defenders in the press. Officer Tomek came out publicly to say, Look, there has to be a logical explanation for the things I saw, but whatever it is, I don't have the explanation. I doubt that the Goodens could have caused these things to move. It was my personal observation that they typically weren't even near the things when they moved. And one police officer, no name given, uh, was quoted as saying it was not just one or two things that were seen, but many different things happening all at once. Nevertheless, the case had been closed, and from now on there would be less police at the house. The crowds were still here. Yeah. Two men were arrested for arson that week after trying to burn the house down. They said they were trying to get rid of whatever evil spirits had possessed it. The only evil here is you guys. Meanwhile, Jerry was still getting it at work, except now it was more the tenor of, uh, Hey Jerry, Marcia throwing crosses around the room lately? Oh. Hey Jerry, I'd beat my kid to a pulp if they destroyed my home like that.
0: I promise not everyone in this town is a piece of shit.
1: On the upside, the ghosts seemed to be gone as of December. And um, on December 4th, the family was looking at a return to normalcy as they rescued a German shepherd, who they named Silver, from the local shelter.
0: And that, uh, friends, is why you should always rescue, because there's always a good pup or kitty or anything else looking for a home.
1: That's true. Although before too long Jerry would be forced to wonder aloud whether they had rescued this dog or just brought him into their misery. Um because on December 10th <laughs> the activity was back.
0: Well, you know, uh, shared misery is better than uh, going through misery alone is always my opinion.
1: Let's hope so. <laughs> On December 10th, three officers were dispatched to Lindley Street. Officer Joe Siemens was the only one who was still on guard duty at the house. And he heard the family screaming, rushed inside, and found everything just all over the place. Furniture everywhere. The, the whole thing had happened all over again. He called for backup and then helped straighten the stuff up. And went outside to use his radio and heard the family screaming again. He went inside. Everything was once again thrown or, thrown around. Mm-hmm. Um, well hanging out in the house, the you know, officers arrived while hanging out in the house and calming the family down and helping clean up. They saw the TV burst into static. They saw a table with a lamp on it fly across the room toward Marcia. Uh, they saw the recliner move. or Sorry, a recliner did move. I'm not sure if anyone saw it move, but they mm-hmm. looked and said, that was definitely somewhere else a second ago. <laughs> uh, and, right after someone noticed that, a desk inched itself silently out from the wall by about one foot Without making a sound. Several officers apparently saw that. Yikes. Yeah. The family thought it might be time for some R&R. So they stayed at Jerry's sister Lillian's for a few days. And they came home on December 14th to pack for their bi-weekly trip to New York City. To find the Christmas. Bi-weekly? Yeah, they would go every other week to New York City before all this started happening. Oh, it- just because? Yeah. Okay. Just a fun, that, that was their fun family excursion. Oh, cute. They hadn't done that since the haunting started, basically. Sure. So they figured it would be nice to get a little return to normalcy. They came home from Lillian's house to pack for that trip to New York, and they found the Christmas tree was down on the floor. The star had been sliced off of the top, and all of the ornaments were removed and stacked in a neat pile right next to the tree stand. The lights were still on the tree.
0: This sounds like a trap from Home Alone.
1: Yeah, it's very strange.
0: <laughs> at least it didn't shatter all the ornaments, but I don't think I would have bothered putting one up in the first place.
1: Yeah, the thing that disturbed Jerry deeply and personally was the star being cut off the top of the tree.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. That seems like seems like a
1: message. Yeah, but they left for their trip. They weren't sure if they were going to stay at home when they came back or go back to Lillian's, but they, they had a nice day in the city. When they came back every picture in the living room was crooked on the walls and their statue of mary one of the i gather one of the more kind of precious items in their home uh was down off of its shelf on the floor and both of its thumbs had been carefully removed carefully removed yeah not snapped off but looked more like a clean kind of a cutter break how weird and those thumbs were never found where are the thumbs laura looked all over the floor she could not <laughs> find either thumb
0: and the thumbs were never found
1: meanwhile silver who usually greeted them right at the door
0: oh poor thing he's alone in the house was with hiding the, under the bed the friggin' talking cat and the ghost
1: and this became a pattern for silver where he would uh spend a lot of his time pacing growling at nothing and usually by the end of the night ending up hiding under the bed
0: poor baby
1: Uh, Jerry, meanwhile, finally put the Christmas tree in a bucket of cement. Yeah, but what does the bucket of cement go in? He strung wires all around it and uh, put hooks in the walls and ceiling.
0: (laughs) A very Hellraiser Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a pinhead Christmas
1: tree. Y'all, Jesus wept. It was the only way he could um, anchor it.
0: At that point, you know what? Take the L, Jerry. Like, if you have to hook it to the wall, like your Uncle Frank and Hellraiser getting his skin ripped off, you might want to just skip the tree this year. He
1: ain't my Uncle Frank.
0: (laughs) Okay, Uncle Frank and Home Alone. I mean, either way, it's a bad situation.
1: So at this point, they visit Father Doyle, the firehouse chaplain. Mm -hmm. I guess they must have gotten along with him when he came over. And they're begging him, you gotta get to your contacts in the church (laughs) You got to get us an exorcism. Mm -hmm. And Father Doyle said he would see what he could do. But he warned them that the Catholic Church doesn't actually really like this stuff very much. And they're very careful about doing anything that they would call an exorcism, uh, especially if there's any press anywhere near it.
0: Absolutely.
1: And there was press all over this thing. Sure. So he wasn't very hopeful, but he said, I'll do what I can. The next day, December 16th, the Goodens got a call, but it wasn't from Father Doyle. It was from Boyce Beatty.
0: Boyce Beatty?
1: Yep. He was a paranormal, is a paranormal researcher. Uh, currently, his LinkedIn tells me that he's <laughs> the executive director at the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies, Incorporated. Okay. Uh, but at the time, he was the chairman of the Central Connecticut Chapter of Spiritual Frontiers Fellowship, an organization dedicated to exploring, quote, new frontiers of knowledge.
0: And fellowship.
1: Yeah. And so Beatty said that he'd had some experience with poltergeists before, and he would like to see what he could do to help the Goodens for their Did part. Did he
0: list that on his resume, too?
1: It's not on his LinkedIn. <laughs> but um, Experience, Poltergeists. Ghouls. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check his CV. <laughs> so Jerry and Laura figured, as long as you, it couldn't hurt, right? Nothing else has worked. As we don't want any more publicity, but as long as you can keep it quiet and not bring any reporters or anything like that or more attention to our house, please come on, do what you can. Um, so first things first. Uh, Boy Spady went and talked to Ed Warren. He got that tape that Ed had of the um, banging sounds. Mm-hmm. Been recorded way back in seventy two, I think. Um, and over the next few days, Beatty conducted interviews with witnesses, uh, the family, and police. Okay. The police were actually very cooperative and um, made, compelled all officers who were involved to submit reports to this guy.
0: Huh. Well, that's nice.
1: Apparently, according to the investigative team, Inspector Clark at the police department, who had returned the hoax decision. Mm-hmm. Uh. He apparently told uh, the investigators that he thought that hoax claim was necessary to calm the crowds and stuff down, but that it had been a little bit rushed and he would like to know more.
0: Interesting.
1: Meanwhile, the activity was continuing. Beatty would be filled in uh, each day by the family on the mysterious footsteps at night, the shelves falling down, the TVs floating. They had one of their TVs replaced. Now the new one was floating. Oh, Um, boy. The shades continuing to... (laughs) Uh, Flip open. Yes, Foley. Yes. Now, December 28th was Marcia's birthday. Her 11th birthday. God, she's still so young. Mm -hmm. And this was actually a relatively poltergeist free event.
0: Listen, any birthday of mine that is relatively poltergeist free,
1: I call that a win. Absolutely. Friends and family came over. Guests apparently did notice that literally every item in the house was secured to the walls with wire. Oh boy. How it, did you even get how did they even get around? Except the heavy stereo unit, which was uh, totally broken already. Someone did say they noticed the stereo move and everyone else in the room agreed that that was true, but couldn't say when they had seen it uh, shift. Okay. Throughout this time, Beatty and his team are working. They cataloged 93 phenomenon that happened throughout the period of the poltergeist activity.
0: That happened to them,
1: or just at all. That happened, period, to everyone. Mm-hmm. They, In order for a, ph- a phenomenon to be considered, it had to not have an obvious cause. So we're not counting like marcia just flipping the recliner back north. oh you
0: know <laughs> ooh,
1: right we're not counting those and um there have to be witnesses who saw the thing in full and couldn't point to a source
0: okay and there were things that happened on this list that marcia was not around for yes okay
1: um william j hall actually has a great list of all 93 occurrences in the back of the book and and it Just at a glance here, it looks like less than half of them Marcia was actually in the room for. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that these are all genuine paranormal phenomena. And in fact, Beatty's report says that a lot of these events were definitely faked by Marcia. Okay. Not the bulk of them.
0: But, you know, like the stuff with the fridge and the recliner, he just figured those
1: out. Yes. uh, There was one day, I think January 4th. First of 75 a lot of a lot of activity happened and and he was just like i think everything that happened that day is fake
0: okay well at least he's being
1: honest about it <laughs> yeah he was definitely willing to dismiss um some things just out of hand mm-hmm. um and so with the um phenomenon that he thought were pretty good um and still considering that some of those some of those he figures are fraud but not all of them and he uh, did a series of psychological tests on the family Um, And he started noticing some patterns. First, the events seemed to, he thought, coincide with a, quote, psychological change in the house. Hmm. Uh, That would be someone entering or leaving a room, um, somebody answering a phone, somebody having a conversation.
0: Someone doing anything?
1: Well, well, a conversation right after it begins or ends, you know, Um, anything that kind of changed the social dynamic in the room. Hmm. The other big thing that they noticed was that Marcia was the clear focal point of these activities.
0: Even when he didn't feel like she was the one causing them.
1: Yes, because what he did was he took a kind of layout plot of the house and plotted out where every occurrence happened and where the family members were at each occurrence. And of those 93 phenomena, Marcia was within five feet of 33 of them. Mm-hmm. She was between 5 and 10 feet of 27 of them. She was between 10 and 15 feet of 23 of them. She was between 15 and 20 feet of 8 of them. And only two occurrences happened more than 20 feet from Marcia.
0: Hmm. But that could also technically be she was in a different room or something, right?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Because they're not saying, oh, let me be clear. They're not saying that she faked this.
0: Oh, no. I'm just saying like even for those people listening who might think, well, she, you know, they might have missed it or whatever. I mean, these are things that could have happened even when she wasn't in the room at all. Ten feet. I mean, you could be ten feet on the other side of a wall.
1: For sure. And a lot of times she was. Mm -hmm. But it was the proximity that was the interesting thing. And you can see the numbers go down as as they get further out. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so there, if you're looking at a scatter plot or something, there's just a strong correlation. The closer to Marcia you get, the the more occurrences happen. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And what Boyce Beatty ultimately decided was that, um, this was a psychokinetic poltergeist.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Um, I don't think Mr. Beatty believes in ghosts.
0: That's a twist. But he...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Uh, from what I can see, he doesn't believe... He didn't mention ghosts at all. But he does believe that intense psychological, emotional stimuli or, or tension, really, especially between two people.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: to him, this all focused on the relationship between um, Marcia and Laura. Oh, interesting. M- Marcia feeling smothered by her mother. And he noted that the occurrences really kicked off after Marcia had to come home from school. And then she had a tutor for a little while. When the tutor left is when the poltergeist activity began. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, Marcia didn't have an outlet.
0: Yeah, so just to be clear to our listeners, um, a poltergeist doesn't mean it was ever a spirit of a person or is any part of a person. Um, A lot of people, like you mentioned with Mr. Beatty, uh, believe that poltergeists can just happen through energy and that can be generated by us or by animals <laughs> or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. he- so, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting uh, theory for sure.
1: He points out that poltergeist um, activity almost exclusively centers around, uh, like I said, like nine to 15 year old children and especially girls. And it's possible that these phenomena only manifest in that group.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically, just imagine, you know, the movie Carrie and her powers, and then just make it like she can't control them. And that's basically the idea.
1: Now, as to how do you solve this, right? How do you solve a problem like a poltergeist? How do you solve a problem like Marcia? (laughs) Oh, it's too good. So Boyce recommended counseling for the whole family. Yeah. I, I would I would do that either way, a, whether there was a poltergeist or not. Yeah, I think that's fair. And recommended Marcia go back to school so she finally has an outlet for her uh, social energy, because once again, this started when she had no one else in her life besides her parents.
0: Mm-hmm. Even though, again, the people at school were trash.
1: Yes, <laughs> very much so. Um, again, Laura and Jerry, Laura and Jerry were uh, resistant to counseling. Mm-hmm. it's a lot of like there's a printed uh, conversation in the in the book there's a lot of like oh we're not crazy what are you saying we're nuts yeah
0: this is the stev- this is the 70s there's still a big stigma around it
1: exactly so they they um were very resistant to that and he doesn't hall doesn't specifically say but i doubt they ever went uh i'm sure marcia mm-hmm. went to some you know mandated appointments mm-hmm. um, but she did go back to school Well, at least there's that. Father Doyle did a solid for them and met with the family and a city social worker and got Bridgeport Public Schools to agree to partially fund Marcia's tuition at St. Patrick's. Oh, nice. Because Laura said she's not going back to that public school. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Um, And so she was back in class in January of 1975 and apparently happy to be there.
0: And then... I just feel like there's like a... But then, happening.
1: The Goodens also definitely believed, you can also see this in the conversation printed in the book, they fully believed that their way out of this poltergeist situation was to move out of the house. Mm -hmm. So they were definitely trying to sell. A for sale sign went up on January 10th, 1975. The house was listed for $31,500. Ooh, Sean. I know, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's not for sale now. I know someone lives there now. I know. For sale sign or not, the Goodens continued to suffer uh, ridicule on their block. The house was egged, windows would be broken, the car mirror was snapped off, uh, and their tires were slashed at one point.
0: Anyone that ever pulls this shit, I have no respect for you whatsoever. Like, why? Even Even if you think the little girl was faking it all along, why do this? What does it prove? Who does it help? No one. Absolutely no one.
1: In December of 1975, Mr. Beatty received a Christmas card from the Gooden family, and they must have figured out that house wasn't going to sell in their lifetimes, which it wouldn't, because the Christmas card read, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Beatty and family, just a few lines to let you know we are fine and staying here at blank Lindley Street. Hope you all have a happy holiday, Jerry and Laura and Marcia. And
0: Silver? Silver? And Sam the cat?
1: They didn't sign it for Silver or Sam, (laughs) um, but I'm sure they were fine. And by January 1976, they had repainted the house white. The iconic concrete swan planters had been removed (laughs) from the front porch. Not the planters. Marcia, apparently, according to records, was doing well in school, and the Goodens had ceased all interviews forever. And that's where we leave the story um, of the Bridgeport Poltergeist. That's it? That's it.
0: Are they still around? Um, I assume they eventually moved out or something happened.
1: They never moved out. That house really didn't sell in their lifetimes. Uh, Laura died in June of 1993. Hmm. She was 68 years old, but it was a car crash. Oh, geez. In Monroe, um, which once again reminds you it's a local story. Mm -hmm. And then um, on September 24th, 1997, Jerry died at 78. Natural causes.
0: Where's Marcia now?
1: (sighs) Well... That's a different story. Boyce Beatty kept getting uh, holiday cards from the Goodens every year Mm -hmm. uh, until one last one in 1980, uh, which read, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Beatty, hope you have a nice holiday. Well, when our daughter reaches 18, she informed us she is going to find her own parents in Canada. We are very upset about it. She told us we're not good enough for her. Well, there isn't anything we could do, but pray she changes her mind. Please pray for us. Gooden family. Merry Christmas, I oh, guess. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. Uh, so, what happened? Is that all we know?
1: Well, it sounds like a 16-year-old Marcia was... Sure. ...talking about finding her parents, and it, it, Laura was of the same temperament she was when we knew her in this story.
0: But do we know what happened to Marcia? Did
1: William Hall, the author of this book, again, our source for this uh, series and an excellent book is The World's Most Haunted House by William J. Hall.
0: Yes. Go read it. Go buy it.
1: Yeah. He did a wonderful job. Um, And he tracked down a cousin of Marcia's who did confirm that at one point she went um, to Ontario to try to look for her family. Mm -hmm. But then the family lost track of her.
0: The Gooden family or her original family?
1: The Gooden family. Oh, okay. There is an epilogue. Because I found an item in the Mansfield News Journal, dated February 10th, 2015, that said that a Marcia Godin, M-A-R-S-H-A-G-O-D-I-N, had died at age 51 in Shelby, Ohio. Um, and as it turned out, that was our Marcia, who had at one point gone to Ontario, but then had ended up... Um, yeah, living in kind of backcountry, Ohio, uh, under the name Marsha Godin.
0: Wow. How did you find that? I Googled her. Sure, but I'm sure William J. Hall Googled her, too.
1: Well, yeah, but this came out after the book. The book was printed in 14. Oh, so she I see. I
0: knew yet. it was recent. I didn't know
1: what year it was. In fact, William Hall is quoted in the Mansfield News Journal article.
0: Oh, what did he
1: say? They reached out to him. Well, he's the one... He's the font of authority. Sure. He's the foremost authority in the world on Marcia Gooden, so they so yeah. they um So what did what did he comment? Well, they ran a story about the um just kind of rehashing the events of the case.
0: It's sad. She was so young.
1: Yeah. Was and
0: she sick or
1: Apparently it said in the article that her uh, well, it said natural causes. Oh. Didn't elaborate past that and it said that her neighbors um didn't know very much about her, so I don't think she was Uh, super social or else she just hadn't put down too many roots in that area.
0: Wow. I mean, that's really a huge question mark too. Like what made her not only say, Hey, I want to find my family, but it seems like, and again, this is from what it seems to be like Laura's perspective. So she might have a a particular view on it, but it seems like she kind of disowned Jerry and Laura.
1: No, there was 16, too. She could have...
0: I mean, yeah, it could have been a thing of like, I hate you. I'll go find my real dad or whatever. But um, she did do it.
1: She did eventually
0: do and it. And her adoptive family literally lost track of her. And I guess... I don't even know if her parents uh, knew where she was. The when
1: Gooden parents. When they passed, you mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, they were still around in the 90s and... She said she was leaving in, like, 1980, so. Yeah, I don't know. Gosh, that's sad. And why would she change her name? Like, did she not want to be found?
1: Did she know her parents had died? For what it's worth, Godin was apparently... Jerry Goodin's last name was a misspelling of his adoptive father's last name. Okay. If I'm process reading processing remembering (laughs) and saying that right Mm -hmm. his adoptive father's name was godin Mm -hmm. and on jerry's birth certificate it was misspelled okay still weird (laughs) it's still weird that she would change it yeah i
0: mean she changed her
1: first name too to marcia and not marcia yeah
0: yeah it makes you wonder what else was going on there
1: yeah, there's probably a whole lot of interesting life in the middle there that doesn't have anything to do with poltergeists.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, the inter family drama, what was going on after 1975. I mean, there's at least five years where they're just living quote unquote normally. So I wonder what really caused that huge fracture.
1: Wow. So that's the. That's the Lindley Street poltergeist. There are a few other theories besides the whole psychokinetic poltergeist thing. Mm Mm-hmm. It's funny. Hall doesn't quote anyone who thinks this is just a ghost, which is (laughs) what people think of when they think poltergeist.
0: Well, the thing is, they're not really ghosts, so I guess a lot of people like to make that delineation.
1: Well, Ed Warren certainly does. He says that it was um, a demon.
0: Well, they did see the horned shadow.
1: They claim to. Um, Ed says... uh, The mother being harmed, such as a television breaking her toes, the child being thrown from the chair. These are all negative acts. Then there was this dark cloud-like material that was seen on two different occasions. This tells me there was something of a negative nature here, which I refer to as demonic. Wow. Thanks, Ed. Yep, that's Ed. Um, And (laughs) Paul F. Eno says that this was the work of what he calls parasites. Now, remember, Paul was tossed out of seminary. Um, A few years after all these events, because he was involved with investigating something paranormal. So weird.
0: It's like, what do you think the Bible is? (laughs)
1: Exactly. What, this stuff is normal? Jesus rose from the dead, guys. Like, relax. He landed on his feet. He became a reporter and an editor, uh, and had a 35-year career in journalism, and also became a big paranormal buff and investigator. Cool. He believes... He's big into the multiverse. I don't think he believes in ghosts um, or anything like that. I, in fact, I, I don't think Paulino believes in God anymore. I, I don't want to say that in case he does, and I'm offending him. Um, <laughs> the multiverse, like Paul, you know, like the multiverse of
0: madness with Dr.
1: Strange. Paulino thinks that the things people interpret as aliens, um, ghosts, you know, etc, etc, are actually extra-dimensional beings.
0: I've heard that theory before, or like it's dimensions other than our own kind of bleeding into ours.
1: Yeah. Uh, And he says that these specific beings seem to him to feed off of emotional turmoil and anxiety. Hmm. And so in a house where that was already present, they settled in, started feeding on the inhabitants and started creating through whatever means they could more anxiety and tension and turmoil in the house. So like, like a poltergeist. Yes, but from (laughs) another dimension, another dimension, another dimension? Poltergeists from another another dimension
0: dimension sounds like...
1: Another dimension.
0: Enough. It sounds like a mystery science theater episode.
1: Yes, it does. (laughs) Do you want to hear from Paul, you know, on parasites? Absolutely. (sighs) I'm convinced that parasites aren't spirits, as I've had physical altercations with them. They often work in packs, they learn quickly, they have leadership, and I've seen them farming individuals, families, and even communities as food sources, sometimes for generations. Given our very limited framework of knowledge, I can see how parasites easily joined human folklore early on as in demons, vampires, and even space aliens. The Lindley Street case was, in my opinion, a textbook parasite attack. Now, here's the question, Caroline. The author of this book, William J. Hall, um, what does he think about all this? Indeed. Well, the, one of the things I like about this book is he doesn't tell us what he thinks. Not explicitly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He does include a chapter just giving you a little background on psychokinetic phenomenon. So, that could be a hint mm-hmm. <laughs> as to what he finds the most relevant, you know? Um, but he says in his conclusion to the book That whatever the Lindley Street poltergeist was You now hold in your hands More proof of the Lindley Street poltergeist Than you have about most of the beliefs you hold true in your life
0: Damn, William
1: Strong statement from Mr. You're Hall Tromping the mic,
0: good lord Okay, well what do you
1: think, Sean This is a case that actually makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Good. I'm Uh, glad. There's just things that I don't have answers for. The only thing I can say from a skeptic point of view is that basically all we have to go on are eyewitnesses. And eyewitnesses are famously... You know, not super reliable. Stuff like um, Officer Tomek saying 40 years later that he saw those crosses shake.
0: these are a lot of eyewitnesses. It is. That's a lot of people to get their wires crossed.
1: So do I think it's possible that you could get this level of hysteria going with a combination of a little girl hoaxing for attention on top of her parents being very religious and very concerned about her? And so maybe a little more suggestible. You add in the attention around the whole thing. We we, we just get into, this is how you, um, we're talking about a mass delusion, right? Or a mass hysteria?
0: It would have to be, yeah.
1: You get into a situation where people are suggestible. And after you've been called to this house because things are flying around, like, well, maybe if a thing tips over, you might be more um, ready to remember five minutes later that you saw the thing tip over rather than you heard something fall, walked in and the dresser had fallen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with all that, could, could, could it be a, a, a hoax? Yeah, but I, I think it would require the family lying on Marcia's behalf at least after the thing was declared a fraud. And I, I guess I could see that, the Goodens, um, to protect their daughter. Mm-hmm. Going like, no, let's make it like there's a haunting. But they so desperately didn't want any more attention. Like, this ruined their lives. It did $5,000 of property damage to their house.
0: Not to mention all of the jerks doing more damage. Mm -hmm. The egging and the breaking of windows and
1: the car and all that stuff. They just had no peace and quiet for months of their lives and they were never able to sell that house.
0: And obviously their family was ripped apart eventually, whether it had to do with this or not. And I'm sure it probably did in one way or another.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So is this just a big question mark for you? You're not actually going to say, hey, I think this was all fake. Poltergeists aren't real.
1: Period. I can't can't say that. This... This case is the only reason I can't just say poltergeists aren't real. This one is puzzling. This one's puzzling to me. Kids are suggestible too, right? So the the little girl saying she had done, confirming to a police officer that she had done it all, doesn't tell me that she had done it all necessarily.
0: Yeah. Well, it reminds me so much of the case that they go over in The Conjuring 2, the Enfield poltergeist, where, you know, they find the girl, um, a spoiler alert, doing some of the things, but then they realize that it was a poltergeist all along and, you know, stuff like that. Um, that's the thing. Like, if, if something weird ever happens to you, our audience, whether it is um, paranormal related or alien related or whatever, don't embellish it. Because it ends up making you harder to believe. And, you know, if you want to tell your story, just try to tell it as straight as you can.
1: I do think there are a lot of like parapsychology people, people who are into the weird um, <laughs> UFO people, uh, ghost people who they do. They so sincerely believe in these things and they think like, oh, maybe I'll just help this one a little yeah, bit. You can't help it. And then people will see what's already there. And it's like, well, no, you've you've shot the credibility of the whole thing. Exactly. To help. And also... Well, it's not like there are other credible stories besides those people's stories. That's why I don't believe in things like <laughs> in things like this. Well, but, but but this this is a story that is at the very least
0: unexplainable.
1: Unexplainable, yeah, to me. So, can children manifest psychic powers uh, as psychokinetic powers at uh, um, the turn of puberty? I don't know. But maybe. It seems like a jump. It feels like there must be something else you could think of, but...
0: Well, just like people with webbed feet or whatever, it's not everyone, but maybe sometimes there's just the right cocktail of whatever going on that makes it possible.
1: Yeah, well, I'm left pretty speechless. Uh, If any of our listeners have... um, explanations thoughts if you've... <laughs> if you've
0: ever had a poltergeist experience and again this is not a spirit an apparition a ghost a haunting in the classical sense a poltergeist is activity more than anything so if you've had that happen to you reach out
1: yeah and um what do you think do you think you learned about polter oh what do you think happened in this house
0: oh boy um you know i didn't read the book myself so i don't have every single detail uh but I think it is really interesting the idea of a kid, especially a girl, being able to manis- manifest things um, because of their emotional turmoil and their mind and everything. Could be because my name is Carrie.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> but you know, I've I read at a really young age that, and I said this on the first episode that. Kids um, are more closely attuned to the spirit world, just like animals are, because of how their chemistry is and because they still have that innocence and, you know, open mindedness about them. So, I mean, I was a, a teenage girl, you know, a girl going through puberty at one time. And yeah, I mean, if, if I could have, I would have blown up some TVs, too, just because of my hormonal mess. <laughs> so... As someone who experienced teen girldom, I think it's completely possible that that could become um, a violent energy. Whether that's what happened here, I don't know. But um, yeah, I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world.
1: Maybe your poltergeist is waiting for a midlife crisis, dear. Can't
0: wait. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Lots of things are a struggle right now. School, work, even something as simple as going to the grocery store, it could feel overwhelming. But one thing that shouldn't be overwhelming is accessing mental and emotional care. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is the leader in online counseling with over 4,000 licensed counselors on the site and over 500,000 people who have gotten counseling to date. The mission of BetterHelp is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient, so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. I've been using BetterHelp for the better part of this year, and honestly, I don't know how I would have gotten through 2020 without it. And, of course, Sean and Poe. When I need to talk to my counselor, I can just text her and I can schedule chats, phone calls, or video calls for longer sessions. This means I have flexibility to set a session during the week or during busy weeks, I can just shoot her a message here and there when I have time. Take control of your mental and emotional well-being. BetterHelp is a great place to start. For 10% off your first month subscription of BetterHelp, go to our podcast link at www.betterhelp.com and see how good it can feel to push past the struggle and find hope in a new day. That's www.betterhelp.com A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y for 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Get professional counseling anytime, anywhere because you deserve to be happy. Let's take a trip to the Bazaar Bazaar to say hello to an old friend, Nostradamus. (laughs) What was that?
1: We're going to do a gong sound for the for Nostradamus? No, for the bizarre bazaar. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Everyone's favorite French prophet from the 1500s has predictions for the year 2021 in his book Les Prophéties. So, uh, let's see what we have in store.
1: All right, a little forecast from my boy Nas. Can't be crazier
0: than this year, right? Well, first up, zombies. What? <laughs> This prophecy reads as follows. Oh, this is great. And just to let you guys know, he kind of wrote in these things called quatrains, which I think are four lines that are very vague and weird. And a lot of people interpret them different ways. They say that Nostradamus has or had predicted um, Hitler's rise to power and World War II, the JFK assassination, all different stuff. So let's see the zombie prophecy for mm-hmm. this year. Few young people, half dead to give a start. Dead through spite, he will cause the others to shine. And in an exalted place, some great evils to occur. Sad concepts will come to harm each one. Temporal dignified, the mass to succeed. Fathers and mothers, dead of infinite sorrows. Women in mourning, the pestilent she monster. The great one, to be no more, all the world to end.
1: So was this gobbledygook in the original French?
0: Uh, so this is translated, obviously, to English from French. I will say that the pestilent she monster is definitely a, a title I'd like to have for myself.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's why I know this one's fake, because I married you in 2020.
0: <laughs> oh, very nice. Uh, some have taken this prophecy to mean that Russian scientists will create a biological weapon that will turn humankind into zombies and we will all become extinct in the near future.
1: Yeah, didn't they say land of stale bread and Twitter trolls
0: somewhere (laughs) in there? Yeah, I don't know where Russian came from. Uh, But considering Nostradamus's book contains prophecies through the year 3797, we can hope for his sake at least that this won't come to pass. Next up catastrophic famine oh we got more more predictions oh there's a few oh my god this prophecy reads after great trouble for humanity a greater one is prepared the great mover renews the ages rain blood milk famine steel and plague is the heaven's fire seen a long spark running The great trouble this references is apparently the coronavirus. You would assume? So it looks like we have some fun to look forward to still.
1: He, um, he dates these? Did he see the coronavirus coming?
0: People say he did. (laughs) I mean, it's it's however you interpret what he wrote, you know. I think he has things for each year. I haven't read the whole thing.
1: (laughs) He sounds like a real fun guy.
0: Yeah. Third up, a devastating comet collision.
1: Okay, we almost had one of those last year. Well... He's a year off with this shit.
0: <laughs> this event will cause earthquakes and other natural disasters concluded from Nostradamus' quatrain. In the sky, one sees fire and a long trail of sparks. That's it?
1: Uh, yeah. It, it's when, a comet. When's the earthquakes?
0: <laughs> well, speaking of earthquakes, Sean, we have number four, a destructive California earthquake. Okay. This, now we're talking. This quatrain goes, the sloping park, great calamity, through the lands of the West and Lombardy, the fire in the ship, plague and captivity, Mercury and Sagittarius, Saturn fading.
1: Are there any, like, and then we'll have, um, like, the next Star Wars movie will be good.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. No, there's no good one.
1: What does he have about the the, uh, 2022 PS5 release slate?
0: Nothing about that. But if you want to talk about technology, apparently American soldiers will become part cyborg by having chips implanted in their brains. This goes, the newly made one will leave the army, almost cut off up to near the bank, help from the mil milanese elite straining the duke deprived of his eyes and milan in an iron cage so seems pretty cut and dry to me
1: yeah (laughs) that made no friggin sense medieval italian politics now
0: yeah, I don't know what that's about and why people think that means uh, computer chips in American soldiers' heads. Well,
1: the one who was newly made will lead the army. They just read the first line and go, hey, robot soldiers! <laughs> uh,
0: but Sean, don't forget the Duke, deprived of his eyes in Milan in an iron cage. Oh, wait, that's Iron Man. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's Tony Stark. <laughs> oh, yes, we all call him
1: the Duke. <laughs> the Iron Duke.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh so those are just some of the um interpretations I read of his predictions for this year.
1: I love it. I can't wait until uh cyborg zombie soldier um riding a comet um and having no food. California earthquake. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh I don't know. Hold on friends. 2021 is going to be an interesting year. That's it for this episode of ain't it scary with Sean and Carrie like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ain't it scary and check out our website at ain't You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash it scary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple podcasts. We'll be forever grateful.
1: Yep. Special thanks to our tier three patrons Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, and our newest patron Maria Ferrante. Um, you're all loved and very special. And um, oh boy, listeners coming. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. It was an accident. Uh,
0: see you next oh, Thursday. No. Never
1: mind. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> show created by Sean McCabe and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan.
0: This has been a production of Longboy Media. <laughs>
2: ohiomysteries.com